1: But I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in everybody to awesome. episode three, three, four, the podcast in a sweeping America the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, December 21st, 2020, people. I hope everybody had a great weekend. I hope you enjoyed what was an incredible weekend across sports. So much to get into on this show. I, of course, hope that all of you are getting ready for a fun holiday week with your family, with friends, with loved ones. I hope Santa brings you everything that you wanted. Uh, But great show today. And I think you know what I'm going to talk about, right? We will obviously open with the college football playoff, Notre Dame versus Texas A&M. Did they get it right? Did they get it wrong? Uh, We will talk a little bit about what I think has become an interesting national topic that I've been talking about on this show. Um, not only Cincinnati getting screwed, but really the entire group of five landscape. I saw Dan Wetzel wrote an article about it. I saw Pete Thamel was talking about it. So we'll discuss a little bit of that. We will then transition to basketball where there were some big topics from the weekend. Gonzaga dominating Iowa in another impressive win. Uh, the Big East looking really, really, really good and rapping with Kentucky which is quickly becoming the Michigan football of college basketball, where I swear that I'm not going to talk about them on every single episode. Then they lose, then they embarrass themselves, and somehow I end up talking about all of them. Uh, Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, any podcast platform, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go pod being Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Uh, Give me a quick five stars. You want to do something nice for your boy AT during the holidays, go ahead and uh, leave a nice rating and review on the iTunes page. And of course, if you're not following on social media, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. And for the final time, If you want a nice gift for somebody that listens to this show, Cameo.com. I can go ahead and leave a personalized gift, a a personalized message for them, whether it be a mother, father, brother, friend, whatever. Uh, If you got somebody that you think would enjoy that, Cameo.com slash Aaron underscore Torres – And I would say really quick, uh, this is probably from a scheduling note, this will probably be the last show before Christmas. Obviously, it will depend on really just what happens over the course of sports, but assuming nothing crazy happens, assuming Jeremy Pruitt doesn't get fired or something like that, uh, this will probably be the last episode of the week obviously as you guys get ready to spend time with family I will be doing the same so yeah so if we get anything else I will record otherwise this will probably be the only episode until next Monday but plenty to discuss today so let's get into it no more time to waste and of course the topic of the day is the college football playoff and oh my goodness what a weekend it was right it was kind of funny because when I was when I was preparing for the show thinking about the show I was thinking about how We went into the weekend thinking a certain thing, and that thing was very simply this. Alabama, when they're in, when they're the number one seed, no debate. If they lose, we'll have that conversation. We don't think they're going to lose. Then it was Clemson. Well, they lost to Notre Dame, but they're not going to really lose to Notre Dame the second time, so they're going to get in at number two. Ohio State, we hate the six-game schedule, but they'll get in at number three. And then Notre Dame, as long as they just don't get blown out, they're going to get the four spot. And Texas A&M needs something crazy to happen. They need Ohio State to lose. They need you know who knows uh, uh, Clemson to lose, maybe Notre Dame to get blown out. then maybe Texas A and m is in the conversation and While I personally believe Cincinnati should have been taken more seriously, I think we all knew Cincinnati wasn 't really a factor. I think we all knew Iowa State and Oklahoma the in the big twelve weren't a factor u s c came into the weekend undefeated. They would not be a factor, but basically it was kind of like we kinda already know, okay, unless something crazy happens. It's going to be Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame in that order. So we get to Sunday night, Saturday night, and what happens? Notre Dame gets blown out, 24 points. And so early in Saturday, when Ohio State struggled, I think part of the conversation was, do we really take a 6-0 and Ohio State team who stunk in their final game, or do we take Texas A&M? And by the end of the night, it was Notre Dame versus Texas A&M. And we all kind of know what the resumes were for both teams, Notre Dame, of course, did have the great head-to-head win over Clemson. They went 10-1 and on the season, but the game against Clemson was also marred a little bit, because, not a little bit, a lot of it, because of the fact that Trevor Lawrence did not play in the first game. He came back in the second game, showed that whoever wins the Heisman Trophy, Trevor Lawrence is the best player in college football this year. And so Notre Dame's uh, Notre Dame's just resume all of a sudden doesn't look as impressive as it did 12 hours ago because you see the factor and the difference that Trevor Lawrence has. And then, of course, Texas A&M, we kind of know what their resume was too, right? 8-1 and one overall, seven straight wins in the vaunted SEC. They did get smoked by Alabama, but that was early in the season. It was at Alabama. They bounced back nicely. They beat Florida. And so those were the two teams, and that was the story going into Sunday morning. And before I reveal, you know, not only who got the, sh- the, 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 the spot, but, but let me just say really quickly, this was the weird one that I don't know that I really had a super strong opinion about, right? Like you guys listen to this show and you kind of know my reputation and people say, oh, Torres, he's full of hot takes. All he ever does is have hot takes. And like, yeah, I'm a very opinionated person. I think opinion comes from research and homework, but there are some times in life that I just don't feel strongly about either one. And so it was funny as I was preparing to do my radio show on Saturday night, as I was preparing to watch the championship uh, preview show, the Final Four show on Sunday, this was the weird one that I had no strong opinion on. I felt like both teams had good resumes, but they also had some real holes in their resume. And I don't, I didn't feel as though I was super passionate that one needed to be in over the other, that one absolutely deserved to be in over the other. And I can't say that, that, that I've, I had a strong opinion. Years past, I have. I mean, you guys probably still remember the reason I still crush Kirby Smart to this day is because of the year when Kirby Smart and Georgia lost in the SEC championship game, and they basically built their entire we should be in the playoff resume on be on a close loss to Alabama. Don't know if you guys remember that, but that was the year that I was like, no, 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 this is ridiculous. Don't put that team in. Put Oklahoma in. That was year Oklahoma had Kyler Murray. It ended up happening that way. But there have been times where I'm very passionate that one side absolutely deserves to be in, one side doesn't. Now I did have an opinion, and that opinion was: sorry, Texas A&M fans, sorry SEC fans, but Notre Dame does deserve to be in. And obviously, that's exactly what happened. Notre Dame got the fourth spot, and I am just here to say that very simply: I agree with the committee. And again. First off, first, first of all, but before we go any further, let me just say we got a lot of A&M fans who listen to the show. You guys DM me. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate your support. This is not to tear down AM. If, sometimes in sports, like, like to build up an argument on something, you want to tear down somebody else. And that's not what I'm going to do here. What I'm going to do here is say this. Text AM is awesome. I am so impressed by what Jimbo Fisher has done in a short amount of time in Aggieland. Land. He won nine games his first year last year he goes 8-5, and five, and I think if you look at the schedule, you say, well, you know, he went 8-5, and That what are you paying him all this money for? And it's like, well, he lost to LSU, which won the national championship, he lost to Clemson, which was the national runner-up uh, in an out-of-conference game, and they played Bama and uh, Bama and Georgia, uh, which were basically of their losses were to, like, top-five teams. So I was really impressed, and I remain really impressed by what Jimbo Fisher has done at Texas A&M. When I say that I believe that Notre Dame deserved the fourth spot, it is not in an attempt to tear down what AM did this year. But I also think that if you if you if you take away the emotion of what you just saw on Saturday afternoon and you look at the full body of work and you do what we're supposed to do, which is take the season in totality and not one small snapshot of Saturday, I think the committee got it right. And I know people are fired up because oh, but they got destroyed by Notre Dame by Clemson. Got de- Clemson destroyed Notre Dame. It's not the same. It's completely different. That first losses were completely irrelevant. I get it, but let's just again take away the emotion of what we just saw, and let's look at the totality of the resumes. Because I think if you're unbiased now, if you're an A&M fan, you're just not going to agree with me, and I get that, and it sucks, and I wish you did, but I get it. If you if you're just going to disagree with me, you're going to disagree with me. But I think if you look at the totality of the season, if you look at the whole body of work, I think you'll see Notre Dame's the better team. And ultimately, that's the committee's job. It's to pick the four most deserving teams. You can't pick the four best teams because nobody knows who the best is. Best team in the country, for all we know, might be Oklahoma right now. I don't think they are, but like, I actually think it's Alabama or Clemson. I don't think there's even a debate. But like, you know, like like, like there's no way to know best. So you have to do most deserving and you have to base both best and deserving on actual tangible things. And so let's get into the actual resumes. Notre Dame, first of all, 10-0 and regular season, 10-1 and overall. A&M, 8-1. Now, they had one game canceled. They, pl- they would have played Ole Miss, but just straight-up wins. Advantage Notre Dame. Notre Dame, I know they got smoked by Clemson. They did win the ACC regular season title. Notre Dame, or er, uh, Texas AM, m excuse me, did not win their conference. They did not win their division. Now, they had the best team in the country in their division. I get it, but we're trying to compare resumes here. Notre Dame, more head-to-head wins, more more wins overall, won the conference. Oh, by the way, Notre Dame also had more wins against ranked opponents. They had two. They beat Clemson early in the season. I know it was without Trevor Lawrence. And they beat North Carolina, which finished 8-3 and and number 13 in the country. A&M had one. They beat Florida seven weeks ago, who finished with three losses. And then finally, if you want to break down even further... You have just wins against teams that finish with winning records. Notre Dame finished with five, I believe. Texas A&M had two. Those two wins were Florida and Auburn. And so if you look at the totality of Texas A&M's resume, this is what their resume is. Well, it's seven straight wins in the SEC. Yeah, that's great. But look at who they played. The totality of their resume was... A win over a three-loss Florida team, which, by the way, they won it at the end of regulation, last play of the game on a field goal. They didn't blow them out. They didn't destroy them. Won it with a last-second field goal, and then their second-best win was to an Auburn team who just fired their coach, and along the way, they did win seven games, but they also, through no fault of their own, I'm not blaming Texas A&M, they played a pretty soft schedule, okay? When you look at the games that were crossover games from the SEC East, yes, they beat Florida, but they also played Vandy, who finished in last place 0-10. They, finished, uh, they played uh, South Carolina, who was second to last in the division in the SEC East, finished 2-8 overall. And they beat Tennessee yesterday, or excuse me, Saturday. That went 3-7. and and finished in third to last place in the SEC, and so I know we think that Texas A&M has this incredible resume because they won seven in a row in the SEC, but they have two wins against teams that finished with winning records. They have one win over a team that finished ranked in the final poll, and they have wins over Vandy, Tennessee, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Arkansas, I mean, some really, really, really bad football teams, and so I think when you look at the totality of the season and the bigger body of work, I think Notre Dame's a deserving team. Now, I know what people would say from there, though. Well, yeah, they didn't beat anybody that good, but, I mean, they finished the season so much stronger than, than Notre Dame. I mean, did they really? Did they? Like, well, first of all, I watched the games, right? It's not just that I watched the Notre Dame game, Notre Dame get destroyed by Clemson. I watched a and too. I watched them three weeks ago against LSU. They won 20-7 to seven in a driving rainstorm. Now, it's not their fault it was raining, but they were sloppy. LSU was sloppy. They deserved to win, but they weren't dominant. Week later, they played Auburn. Great win. They trailed into the fourth quarter. It's a credit to them for winning the game, but they weren't dominant. Tennessee didn't dominate, won. They weren't dominant. It was close going into the fourth quarter. And so there's argument that Texas A&M like, oh, they're playing so much better. Are they really? And then on the flip side, what about Notre Dame? Notre Dame maybe just played the best team in college football, peaking at the perfect time with its the healthiest that it's been since July in Clemson. I get that Texas a or that that Notre Dame just got smoked by Clemson. Would Texas a And M's resume not look different right now if they didn't have to play Alabama a second time on Saturday? So we're going to punish Notre Dame because they beat Clemson the first time, get to the ACC championship game, and lose to a vastly superior team. When Texas A&M got to play on Saturday, they got to play Tennessee. And again, this isn't being critical of Tennessee or Texas A&M. It's just looking at both sides and trying to be fair. By the way, for all the Notre Dame, you know, was disaster down the stretch. They beat UNC on Thanksgiving weekend. We'll see how good UNC is because they're actually playing Texas A&M in a bowl game. But like this idea that that Texas A&M is playing so much better than Notre Dame, I don't buy it. And so what it really comes down to for me is this. It comes down to what I said a few minutes ago. I'm not super strong about either side. Now, I know you're sitting there saying, well, of course you're super strong. You're screaming and yelling that Notre Dame deserves it. I'm screaming and yelling because I believe it was the right decision, but if Texas A&M had gotten it, I wouldn't be coming on this show yelling and screaming, Texas A&M doesn't deserve to be in. Notre Dame got robbed. What I'm saying is both teams had flawed resumes, and I just feel like Notre Dame's resume was a little bit more convincing, though not great, but Texas A&M's was worse, right? I I say it all the time. I talked about this the other day with the Kentucky-Kansas basketball game. I said neither team deserved to win. But Kansas deserved to lose best. And that's kind of how I feel with this Notre Dame versus Texas A&M situation. Both teams are really good. But both teams had flawed resumes. And I actually think that Notre Dame's resume is just a little bit less flawed. And again, I don't think I would be that fired up if Texas A&M got in over Notre Dame. Now, I would also add, by the way, I think there's a broader, more interesting conversation to be had about should, should we even be arguing over those two teams as opposed to just arguing over Ohio State? Because Ohio State only played six games. Ohio State only played two teams that finished ranked. And in both games, they did win to their credit. But man, did they look sloppy. They did not look like a very good football team against Northwestern. And I think there's a very important conversation to be had about if you're going to play that many fewer games, you probably should be dominant to get in over a Texas A&M team that has been going since July, hasn't taken a break, start, stop, COVID, no COVID. But we also know that Ohio State was going to get in. So I think that's the real more interesting conversation. But as far as Notre Dame, Texas AM Texas a and is concerned, I do believe the committee got it right. I'm not super fired up. I'm not super upset that, that Texas A&M got robbed or anything like that. I think the committee didn't have a great choice, but they took the better of two choices that were not ideal. That's where I stand. You can disagree. I know we have a lot of SEC fans that are probably like, Torres, you don't know what you're talking about. The SEC is amazing. The SEC is amazing. It's a great football conference. There's no doubt in my mind. But the ACC was pretty good this year, too. And the SEC was very top-heavy. Texas A&M lost to the best team they played, second-best team they beat, the third-best team in the conference they didn't play. And so I just can't get fired up and and passionately defend Texas A&M when their whole resume was a a win over a three-loss Florida team and a win over Auburn, who fired their coach. You know what I can't get fired up about, though? There's craziness in the group of five, and it's funny because I've talked—I've talked about it on this show before. But there are times where I am ahead of the curve on stuff, and again, I said it a minute ago. But like, oh, Ever Torres—he yells and screams, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then a week or two later, everybody's talking about what I was talking about two weeks ago, and that happened again on Sunday, because Cincinnati, a team that I have been pseudo-banging the drum for—I don't, I'm not—I've never banged the drum that they deserve to be in. But I've banged the drum that they're getting screwed by the rankings. Well, they got one final screw job on Sunday. And finally, the national media picked up on this. I saw Dan Wetzel talk about it. I saw Pete Thamel tweet about it. And so just very quickly, I know I've done this rant before, but it has a new twist with the group of fives again getting screwed on Sunday with the final rankings. Just want to talk about it and how preposterous this system is and how I've never been blow up the playoff guy, but this year proves that we really might need to reconsider how we're doing this. Uh, and, and really what it boils down to is, as I've told you for weeks, the committee has done everything that they can to to ensure that a group of five team never gets a realistic shot at this college football playoff. And in previous years, I thought, well, maybe that's a little bit overrated, and is that really true, and da 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 But if you've been listening to this show, you know that it's basically true. Over the last couple weeks, um, Cincinnati opened at number seven in the first playoff ranking, then a couple weeks later, they drop because, oh, they haven't played. They were out because of COVID. They haven't played. Well, if they don't play, we got to drop them in the rankings. Okay, makes sense, except just one problem. Ohio State hasn't dropped. Other teams that had to sit out for a weekend and drop, Texas A&M didn't play for two straight weeks because of COVID. They didn't drop. Now, that's not a Texas A&M problem. That's not an Ohio State problem. But we can't put different rules in, case in place for Cincinnati. Then on top of that, they had to cancel another game because of COVID, and they dropped again. So without playing a game, they fell from number seven to number nine, and the committee was just arbitrarily choosing who to put in front of them. Iowa State beats a bad West Virginia team. They get moved ahead of Cincinnati, even though they have two losses. Uh, Florida loses to LSU as a 24 point favorite. They get moved ahead of they they get they get put ahead of Cincinnati to ensure that they're still in the play. And so it was so obvious that the committee was just putting themselves in position that no matter what happened on Saturday, there was no way that Cincinnati could get that fourth spot. And it essentially became true because not that they deserved it, but when the final rankings came out, it was just so obvious, right? Like if you look at the final rankings, here are the final rankings how they went. We already talked about the top five with Texas A&M coming in at number five. Number six, Oklahoma jumps from 10 to 6 after winning the Big 12 title. Okay, whatever. I'm not going to get super fired up about that. I think it's a little bit of a leap, but Oklahoma at the very least is playing well. Number seven, oh, just the Florida Gators. You know, the team that lost the last two games of their season somehow gets to remain ahead of Cincinnati in the playoff poll. And then, of course, Cincinnati comes in at number eight, even after winning the AAC, beating a top 25 team in Tulsa. I should also mention, if we're talking about a group of five teams getting screwed, how about this? I love this one. Iowa State finished at number 10. I got nothing against Iowa State. Nice little team. They're cute. They're whatever, blah, blah, blah. Just one problem. They had three losses. Know who one of those losses was, to? Louisiana, which doesn't seem like it should matter, except just one problem. You know who was two spots behind Iowa State at number 12? Coastal Carolina, who was 11-0, and who beat Louisiana Lafayette. And so I bring this up because I'm not saying that the little guy, we need to just force him into anything. But Iowa State has three losses, including to Louisiana, Coastal Carolina, 11-0, and a head-to-head win over Louisiana, and they're behind Iowa State in the playoff rankings. But it just proves the point that I've been saying for a few weeks. These little guys don't even have a chance. And it's so frustrating and it's so annoying. And before we get into it too deep, let me, just, let me just recap the point that I have made for the last two, three, four episodes. I've never once said, Cincinnati needs to be in, right? It's like I said with the Notre Dame versus Texas A&M thing. I'm not super passionate about it. Like, I'm not gonna get on the table and bang the table for Cincinnati. I'm not saying they absolutely deserve to be in over Notre Dame and Texas A&M. I'm not saying they would beat Alabama or they would beat Clemson. I don't think anybody's gonna beat those teams except the other one when they play in the championship game. But it's not really about whether they could beat them or not. It's not really about whether they, could, they should be in over Notre Dame. It's about the fact that they didn't even get a shot. It's about the fact that they didn't even have the opportunity, that as I just said a minute ago, the committee chose every little reason they could possibly think of to keep moving them down the rankings to ensure that they didn't even get an opportunity. And what bothers me about it is, first of all, the thing that bothers me the most is it just goes against the most fundamental thing about sports, and the most fundamental thing about sports is that, to quote Herm Edwards, and I think I quoted him a few, day, a few episodes ago, but you play to win the game. And I love college football, and I've defended college football, and I've fought for college football, but it is the only sport that I know of that you can finish undefeated and not even get a shot. And not only not get a shot, not even be given an opportunity to get a shot. Have the system completely work against you so you don't get the shot. I'm not saying a group of five, you know, the, the AAC champs should get into the playoff if they're seven and five. But when you're nine and zero like Cincinnati was this year, and you don't even get a shot, they don't even put you in the conversation. As a matter of fact, they actively work to make sure that you're not in the conversation I got a problem with that. I got a problem with that. And you know what the bigger problem is? If there was ever a year to just consider the possibility of maybe giving them the opportunity, this was it. This was it, right? Pac-12 doesn't have a real contender, but they started in November. Ohio State's only played six games. AM has a 28-point loss on their resume. Uh, Notre Dame has a 24-point loss on their resume. And that was the funny thing about Saturday. We're arguing over whose embarrassing blowout loss was worse. Notre Dame's 24-point blowout loss or Texas A&M's 28-point blowout loss to Alabama. Whose is worse? Is it this one or is it that one? How about we just put in the team that won all their games? How about we just put in the team that won all their games or at least consider it? And if there was ever a year to do it, this was the one. Cincinnati is at one of those schools that against all odds has been going strong since July. And have there been hiccups? Yeah, but there was hiccups everywhere. Nick Saban got the virus twice. Trevor Lawrence got the virus. Ohio State, Ryan Day got the virus. No school is immune to this stuff. But if we're going to give the benefit of the doubt, give it to a team that's been fighting their you-know-what's-off since the beginning of the season, that, oh, by the way, actually has some really good wins on their resume. Central Florida's a good win. I'd put it on par with Auburn. I'm not saying Central Florida's Alabama or Clemson or Notre Dame but can you tell me a 6-4 and four Auburn team is really definitively better than Central Florida? The Tulsa team that Cincinnati beat the other night was pretty good. Now, I know Cincinnati's gonna have their shot against Georgia, but to me, if there was ever a year to just consider it, to just put them at number six in the playoff rankings behind AM coming into the weekend so they had a shot, wasn't this the year? And let me just wrap up by saying very simply this, because I'm yelling and screaming too much, and you guys know where I stand on all this. But if you listen to this show, you know that I am not expand the playoff guy, okay? I never have been, I never will be. I think when you're arguing, this is who we were arguing about on Saturday, an Ohio State team who's played six games, a Notre Dame team that just lost by 24, or an a and team that lost by 28 earlier in the year. What that says to me is we're having enough trouble finding four teams that are good enough, I don't see why we would add two more to get to six, or four more why we would get to eight. But the only argument that I will hear for expanding the playoff is if it allows group of five teams that are undefeated a shot at the championship and i'm and I've said it a million times I'm not mr. like group of five, oh my God, we gotta give the little guy a shot, but man, like i said it's this is the only sport where the little guy doesn't get a shot. Imagine if um in college basketball, if Belmont or uh you know whoever Dayton Gonzaga somebody finished undefeated they didn't even get into the tournament it doesn't make sense it's preposterous it goes against what sports is and so again I'm not expand the playoff guy if anything I'll be real with you I probably should have said it to lead the show if it was up to me if ESPN called me and said Torres put together the final four bracket I would add Cincinnati at number four because I thought that if anything this was the year they deserved a shot. This was the year that, again, I wasn't going to feel bad for Notre Dame getting left out. I wasn't going to feel bad for A&M getting left out. I would have put Cincinnati in. But the idea that they never even had a shot, that Coastal Carolina never even had a shot, the fact that, by the way, the Mountain West champ San Jose State, I don't even know if people know this, finished undefeated. The fact that they didn't even have a shot. It just speaks to me that this system is crazy. This system is you know, corrupt feels aggressive, but it kind of is. And it's just like, if we're not even going to give these guys a shot, we got to blow this thing up and start all over. I've never believed that the committee is actively looking to screw the little guys, but this was the year that it certainly felt like it. All right. I said, I wasn't going to yell and scream. I said, I wasn't fired up. I just yelled and and I'm fired up. Uh, But I think what I'm going to do, take a quick break. I do want to talk a little college hoops. Uh, We're getting to that time where we're going to have to really gear up on the college hoops. I've been watching a lot of games. I'm trying not to overreact with too many takeaways, but I am going to come back momentarily talk a little bit about Gonzaga, another dominant win. I am going to talk about Kentucky, the Big East, uh, and a lot of other good stuff, so stay tuned. I will be right back after a short break. All right, everybody. I am back And yeah, let's get into some college hoops. And a lot of you have been asking, like, Torres, why why are you not doing more college hoops? I want to do college hoops. First of all, we're going to have some great college hoops guests over the next couple months. And so if you like the guests, if you like the back and forth that I have with other people, be patient. All the usuals, all the guys that I always get are coming on. Sean Farnham will be on. Jimmy Dykes will be on. All the big names in college hoops. We'll get some coaches. We'll get some players. We'll have some fun. But the reason that I've kind of just dipped my toe into college basketball, I think we're still largely learning a lot about these teams. Look at a team like Tennessee. I think they're awesome, but they just started their season two weeks ago. On the flip side, UConn played on Sunday for the first time coming off quarantine. Gonzaga was off for two weeks before they played on Sunday, or Saturday, excuse me, and so we're still learning a lot about these teams. I do want to start with Gonzaga though, and I want to just say this. They played Iowa. We're going to get into it in a minute, but If you're arguing that anyone other than Gonzaga is the best team in college basketball right now, you're just arguing for the sake of arguing. Because I think there's a lot of things you can argue in sports right now. Um, You know, whatever. Uh, uh, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Lakers, Clippers in the NBA, uh, Mahomes versus the field in the NFL, Chiefs versus the field, whatever. Alabama versus Clemson. Trevor Lawrence versus Justin You can't argue that anyone other than Gonzaga is the best team in college basketball right now. They play a really good Iowa team, and they win convincingly on Saturday. Again, coming off 17 days quarantine, had not played. They play the number three team in the country, and they win 99-88. And not only did they win 99-88, it was never really that close. They were up by double digits for most of the first half. They put up 50 points in the first half, and they play a really good Iowa team. Iowa came into this game as the nation's top-scoring team. They had scored at least 93 points in all six games. They were 6-0, had beaten North Carolina, had beaten Iowa State, had put up 100 points three times. Gonzaga jumped out and never gave up that lead. And so to me, when I look at this team, I'm just saying... You can't argue anybody else right now. They are it. They are the team to beat. Can things change? Of course. Can teams get better? Of course. Can teams emerge? Of course. Is Baylor good? Of course. Could Tennessee be really interesting? Of course. But there's no one other than Gonzaga that you can argue is the best team in college basketball right now. First of all, the scary thing about Saturday was they seem to be getting better even off of quarantine. So we've talked a ton about Jalen Suggs, their freshman point guard on this show. I think you can argue he's maybe the, been the best player in college basketball. Now, maybe Luca Garza's been better, but Suggs has been awesome. He's averaging 16 points, five rebounds, and five assists. That is incredible, especially when you consider all the freshmen that had so much hype coming into this year that are struggling, like a BJ Boston at Kentucky, like a Terrence Clark at Kentucky, like a few other guys across college basketball. This guy has been the best player on the best team in college basketball, and the scary thing was he showed off a side of his game on Saturday that we didn't know he had. He came into that game two of six from three-point land uh, prior to Saturday, and uh, oh, by the way, don't know if you noticed, he went seven of ten from three, and so that to me is the scariest part about Gonzaga. I talked about it a few weeks ago with Iowa when they beat North Carolina in the uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge, but when you look at Gonzaga, they are so dangerous. I mean, they have a guy, they have guys that are first-team, all-American caliber players that don't even show up to play on any given night, and they don't miss a beat. Joel Ayayi, my boy, who I believe is could potentially at some point be a first-round NBA draft pick, he finished with 13, 11 points, excuse me. Corey Kispert, who I do believe will be a first round draft pick, finished with 13 points. And oh, by the way, he's been inconsistent from three. Uh, He's just now starting to get going from beyond the three point line, but he has not even been playing at his best. And Gonzaga doesn't miss a beat. And when you look at their overall body of work, I mean, listen, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say. There won't be more than one or two teams that has a better resume at the end of the season than Gonzaga does right now, and that sounds crazy and it sounds stupid. But hear me out on this. Here is the most recent AP poll as I am recording here on Sunday. Now there will be a new one by the time you record, by the time you listen on Monday. But in the new AP poll, Iowa is ranked number three, Kansas is ranked number five, and West Virginia is ranked number nine. Gonzaga has beaten all three of those teams. The only one that was single digits was the West Virginia game when Jalen Suggs got hurt and barely played. And Gonzaga beat the other two teams by double digits. And did I mention, by the way, those three teams in games where they haven't played Gonzaga against everybody else are a combined 20-0 with some really good wins. Kansas has beaten Creighton Kansas has beaten Kentucky Kansas won at Texas Tech last week West Virginia has beaten Richmond um, Iowa has beaten North Carolina Gonzaga has essentially run all three out of the gym now I can't say that about West Virginia that was a little bit of a different deal Jalen Suggs gets hurt whatever but the point being is that there is no team that is even playing close to this level right now except for maybe Baylor but what they did on Saturday to Iowa was so impressive I I don't even think there's a debate. And I'll tell you this, I heard he got a few of these texts. I hate to say it. We're going to start getting, could Gonzaga go undefeated talk here pretty soon? Because you look at their schedule, their conference is improved, but their conferences, it's teams that they will beat. Now, could somebody catch them? Yes. Uh, Pepperdine has good players. They'll be interesting. BYU has good players. They'll be interesting. San Francisco upset Virginia. But speaking of Virginia, Gonzaga plays Virginia this weekend. And if they get by that game, I think they'll be easily a double-digit favorite in every game for the rest of the season. Not saying they will go undefeated, but I think there is going to be that conversation going into the NCAA tournament. I already got a couple DMs this weekend like, dude, do you think they could go undefeated? Yeah, I do. I, I really, truly do. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. That conversation is coming, but in the meantime, they are the best team in college basketball. You know who's not the best team at college basketball? Uh, how about those Kentucky Wildcats? And I didn't really realize it until I started prepping for this show. But Kentucky has essentially turned into the Michigan football of college basketball on the Aaron Torres podcast. And what I mean by that is this. Every week when the Big Ten started, I had a big Harbaugh segment. And every week I was like, this week I'm not talking hardball. I'm not doing it. I'm tired of talking hardball. You guys are tired of listening about hardball. Not doing it. And then every single week, something crazy would happen with Michigan, and I would talk Jim Harbaugh. And the same thing is happening with Kentucky. I don't want to talk Kentucky. I don't want to talk about them every single game and break down every single game, especially because right now they're really bad. There's nothing worse than breaking down really bad uh, basketball teams or football teams, but we got to do it. This is the biggest brand in college basketball. This is one of the most successful programs in college basketball history. This is the most successful program over the last decade, And they are bad, and you guys know they are bad, so let's get into it. Kentucky falls to 1-5, and and every week it's almost like Michigan football, where every single week, rock bottom somehow gets lower. And you think it's rock bottom, and it somehow gets worse. Last week, they played Notre Dame, they come back, you think they're finally starting to turn a corner. Instead, the exact opposite happens. They play North Carolina this weekend, and essentially revert back to everything that they were over the course of the early part of the season. They jump out to a big lead early in the game. They're up four at the half, and they completely fall apart after the half. They stop running offense. They take bad shots. The rotations are weird. Players are out of position. I will say I am not defending Kentucky, but they were not helped by the refs where their three big guys basically all followed out of the game and could not stay in the game. But it does not excuse the fact that Kentucky is 1-5 in right now in college basketball, and a complete disaster. And it's getting to the point where there were people talking about, making jokes about, uh, oh, you know, you think they'll they're, they're go back to the NIT this year. Right now, they're not even trending towards the NIT. And what was especially bad about Saturday was that, again, it felt even worse than rock bottom. On top of the on-the-court stuff, you had weird off-the-court stuff a uh, freshman forward named Cameron Fletcher, Cameron Fletcher, was caught and seen on the sideline crying on the sideline. I'm not going to criticize the kid. He has since apologized. He said he let his emotions get the best of him, and I am the last person to criticize anybody. Essentially, he said he, he believes that he can help the team win. He wants to play more, da-da-da-da-da. And I just think, look, we live in a world right now where everyone is on edge. Everyone is emotional right now. I know I'm more emotional right now. And this kid wants to help. This kid wants to participate. He wants to contribute. He wants to help his team win. He has since apologized. I have no problem with it. Take it a step further. After the game, Kentucky sends Keon Brooks to the podium to do the postgame interview. I think anybody listening this far knows uh, Keon Brooks is the only returning player at Kentucky um, who returns from last year's team. Just one problem. He hasn't played a single game this year, and John Calipari sent a player to the podium who has not played a single game the entire season. Now again, I will defend John Calipari. Keon Brooks, and I'll defend this team, Keon Brooks is the closest thing that this team has to a veteran. He wanted to be a good leader. He wanted to help out his teammates, and so because of it, I don't have a problem with them sending him to the podium if he stepped up to the plate and said, I want to take care of my teammates. They're in a bad place right now. I am going to help how I can. With that said, though, it does not solve the major issue, which is that Kentucky stinks. And I think for the first time, people are starting to really ask themselves, Is it possible that Kentucky doesn't turn a corner? Is it possible that they don't figure it out? That they don't eventually make the run that they do late in the season? And I don't even think people are talking, I think people have decided it's over. Now, I will say this, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet because I love college basketball because I see this every year. And while the results have never been this bad, Kentucky has obviously never been one in five, not only under John Calipari, they haven't been one in five in almost a century. I saw, I think the stat was 1926 27 was the last time that Kentucky had this record. But with that said, I've seen it too many times. I mean, even last year, I was at the games in Vegas where Kentucky came in eight and one, they beat up on a bunch of cream puffs, and then they lose to Utah, and they lose to Ohio State, and everybody assumes it's disaster, and how will this team bounce back, and then they win, they beat Louisville, and then they, they go into SEC play and really pick things up. So that happened just one year ago. Now, I would say they had veterans on the team, they had players who had been there before, but it wasn't as though they had this overwhelming, incredible talent, um, that was like like just wait that just needed to figure it out. Yes, Emmanuel quickly won SEC player of the year. But you are talking about a team that had two back end of the first round picks, uh, a second round pick and an unsigned free agent. So it's not as though they had four first rounders and, and they flipped a switch. So I've seen Perry do this before. And the one thing you cannot deny, there is talent on this roster. Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston were both McDonald's All-Americans, both top 10 prospects. Uh, Olivier Saar was the top transfer in college basketball. He's obviously shown flashes, including last week against Notre Dame. And I think when you break down this team, their single biggest issue is exactly that. And my buddy Matt Jones said it, and I'm going to say it here. Their best players just aren't playing like stars. And so when you look at Kentucky, they've actually gotten solid contribution from a lot of their role players. Uh, Dev Davion Mintz, a transfer from Creighton, has stepped up and been the closest thing that this team has to a leader on the floor when things get tough. Um, Isaiah Jackson has been awesome when he's not in foul trouble. Lance Ware was awesome on Saturday against North Carolina when he wasn't in foul trouble. The problem is the three best players on this roster that you need to be stars are not playing like stars right now. B.J. Boston, the freshman, one of the best shooters in high school basketball last year. Um, He scored double figures every single game. He's averaging 14.5 a game. He's also shooting 17% from three. You can't win when your best player and your best scorer is shooting 17% from three. Terrence Clark, who was also a McDonald's All-American, is a one-and-done potential prospect. Playing well, but he's averaging 3.5 turnovers a game as the primary ball handler. You can't win when your primary ball handler is averaging three and a half turnovers a game. Olivier Saar, the transfer, the one that I hyped up, the one that I incorrectly hyped up. Sometimes you got to take an L in life. And I'm going to tell you right now, I gave that kid too much credit. I gave him too much credit for beating up, uh, for, for having success in the ACC on a bad ACC team that nobody took seriously. He clearly, I'm not saying he can't get there, but he clearly isn't ready for the role that he was asked to play at the University of Kentucky. Maybe he'll get there. Maybe you won't. But I think when you look at this team, the single biggest issue is very simply the three best players are not playing up to the level that we expected. And there isn't a single team in college basketball. Not Gonzaga, not Baylor, not Iowa, not Virginia, not Villanova. If your three best players, your three most important players are not playing up to the level that we expect, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. And that's Kentucky's biggest problem right now. And I think the second problem is John Calipari. And I've been critical, I've been patient, I see both sides. I see the increasingly smaller portion of the fan base that says what I just said a minute ago. Calipari will figure it out. We see this every year. Trust him, he'll get it done. I also see the guy that he is right now that has never had a younger roster, that has never been more committed to I don't mind starting over every year, And this is the year that it bit him in the butt because he has no returnees in an increasingly transient sport of college basketball. Guys are not going to stick around to sit on the bench. They will transfer out if they don't play. So a couple guys that you thought might be back this year have since transferred out. Johnny Juzang, who who, uh, plays at UCLA now. Jamal Baker, who plays at at, uh, Arizona now. These guys are not gonna sit on the bench and wait two, three, four years. And so increasingly, you have to bring in other transfers to, to replace them, or you have to rely on freshmen. This is the year where it's catching up with him. The freshmen are not living up to expectations. And I think there are two things within the context of how the team is built that can also be true. One of them is on Calipari. One of them is kind of out of his control. I will say the first one that is out of his control This was a really bad year to have the youngest team that you will ever have in college basketball. I am not defending Calipari. I'm not making excuses for him. As I've said on this show, there there is a difference between excuses and reasons. And excuses, my dog ate my homework. And excuses, uh, you know, whatever. I was late because my car broke down when your car didn't break down. But a reason is something that explains something that needs explaining. And there is a reason that part of this this is explainable via actual reasoning. First of all, you have the youngest team in the country, the most inexperienced team playing together in the country. You have fewer off-season practices. You have fewer um, scrimmages. And you have fewer games against bad teams. I mean, listen, I'm not criticizing anybody. But Kentucky went from one easy game Straight into a gauntlet that has since included Richmond, Kansas, North Carolina, uh, Louisville next week. Straight into the SEC. You don't think they could use a couple games? I mean, I'm not going to pick any any team or program individually, but Michigan State's played some pretty easy games on their schedule. They just lost to Northwestern right before I started recording. Um, you know, Arkansas is playing well, but but they. They played a bunch of soft teams, and I don't blame them. Coach must explain why on this podcast. He said, we didn't want to put our team on a plane. We didn't want to put our opponent on a plane before we played, so we only scheduled teams that could bust in to play us. Tennessee's played a couple good teams in Colorado and Cincinnati, but they've played a couple bad teams, and I think that's part of it with Kentucky. You don't have those bad teams to beat up on to just feel good about yourself. And you've basically played since the second game, NCAA tournament caliber teams, and teams from power conferences. That is not an excuse, it's a reason. The second thing, no practices, as I said, no script, fewer practices, fewer just pickup. These guys can't just get into the gym and play pickup. As I said, they can't hang out off the court. Um, on top of that, there's other reasons. They don't have anybody back. Their best assistant coach left in the offseason, Kenny Payne, to go coach in the NBA with the New York Knicks. So those are reasons why they stink. But what I would also say is, I do think John Calipari has to look in the mirror a little bit. And I'm not somebody that's saying, oh, he's lost his touch, he can't get it, like, the guy just won an SEC championship last year. Two years ago, they were a player two away from going to the Final Four and beating Auburn. I'm not going to say the guy has lost his touch. I don't believe it. And he has the talent on this roster. But... I do believe, in the same way that I just talked about it with Cincinnati football, with the college football playoff, I said, if there was ever a year to do something different in the college football playoff and let Cincinnati in, this was the year. Well, Coach Cal, if there's ever a year to do something different and give other guys an opportunity, this is it. You don't know who your four or five best players are because you haven't seen them practice as much. You haven't seen them in game situations. And so I saw Calipari take some heat for this quote And while I understand his point, I also don't blame fans and some of the media for being frustrated. Coach Cal, uh, uh, over the weekend against North Carolina, talked about the fact that he is not playing uh, a couple key players off the bench that could help, including a redshirt freshman named Dante Allen, who was just a high school scoring stud uh, in the state of Kentucky. And it's really interesting because... um, you know, uh, uh, first of all, the kid was really, really, really good, and Kentucky is really, really struggling to score, and so you'd think he would get a shot, and he didn't, and what Calipari said was essentially, he said a quote that I think really upset a lot of people, he said, I have to let my guys miss shots, I have to let my star players miss shots, and it pissed a lot of people off, and I don't blame them, and when you're losing, it's not the right thing to say, but, I also understood what he said. What he basically said was, I have to let my best players work through their struggles on the court, and if I pull them off the court every single time they miss a shot, we're screwed because I'm going to need them later, and I need them to work through this now and get comfortable now and get up to speed now because if I bench them every time they take a bad shot or they miss a shot, well, guess what? That means that to them that that I cannot count on them, and if I can't count on them in December, I'm not gonna be able to count on them in March. And I will defend Coach Cal on that because I have seen that with my own two eyes. I'm probably the only one that remembers this, but about the first 12 or 15 games of Tyler Hero's career, he was terrible. And you, everyone was saying, you can't play this kid, he's not good enough, he's getting killed on defense, he can't score, he can't make shots on offense, and Calipari just kept putting him out there, kept putting him out there, kept putting him out there, and by the end of the season, he was a bucket. And so I do understand Coach Calipari saying, like, I gotta let my best players, the guys that I think are my best players, I gotta let them miss shots, because eventually those shots are gonna fall, and when those shots fall, it's going to have a long-term impact over the rest of the season that's going to allow us to have success. But I also understand the fans and the media, and I'll give credit to one guy in specific, my buddy uh, Jack Pilgrim, who said this. He wrote a great article about this kid, Dante Allen, where he basically talked about Dante Allen. He said, this kid averaged like 45 points a game in high school or 40 points a game or whatever it was. Why is he not getting a shot? And every time he goes in, he hits shots. And so I think Cal's point about, I have to let my guys miss can be true. But you also got to give the guys that are actually producing a chance too. And so I'm just going in circles here and I'm talking this out kind of uh, out loud because when you're 1-5 in and you're Kentucky and you have got, like, we can criticize whatever. They got players that can play, but it's just not clicking for whatever reason. But what I will say is I do understand the frustration. I do understand the fans that are saying, look, this ain't the same as it used to be. Yeah, we used to not be great in November and December, but we still won these games. We were still good. We still got victories. And now we're losing to everybody. And it's one thing when you're losing to everybody, but you got maybe a a future number one overall draft pick in the lineup that you know can carry you. And right now, it doesn't look like any of those guys are that guy. And what a lot of people are saying is, well, if you're not going to recruit those elite five-star guys... You gotta supplement them with some depth and with some experience and with some this and keep players in the pro. Like, I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it. And it's just one of those things where there's no easy answer. Calipari is committed to recruiting the best high school players that he can. And unfortunately, in some seasons, those high school players are not going to be as good as in other seasons. And on top of that, what I would also say is that, again, this is just a bizarre year where you've had less practice time, less time around your teammates, all that kind of stuff, and there's no good answer. There's no good answer. I will keep using the corporate line of, I do think Calipari eventually figures it out, but he is running out of time, and there is a big game this weekend against Louisville, and Louisville has usually marked kind of the turning point of Kentucky seasons over the last couple of years, but if you don't get the win this weekend, now you're going into SEC play. These teams know you better, and maybe it doesn't get solved this year. And if it doesn't get solved this year, what's it look like next year when Olivier Saar is gone, when B.J. Boston is gone, and where Terrence Clark is gone, at the very least. But it was a really bad weekend, and I understand the Kentucky fans that are really frustrated. It's just a bizarre, bizarre, bizarre time. And even myself, who watches these games, who reports on these games, who talks about these games, I'm having trouble finding the balance of, when do I stop with the, Calipari will figure it out. Because at a certain point, he just hasn't, and he isn't, and I understand the frustration of Kentucky fans. Really quick, um, just want to just give a couple quick notes from the weekend that was. Um, first of all, I should even go back to Thursday. Should give a quick shout-out to my boy, Bill Self. Um, for people who listen to this show, I've been very critical of Bill Self through the years. Um, I think, I don't think, I know he has been caught uh, You know via text message and wiretap, Um, some of his recruiting practices are a little bit, shall we say, unscrupulous, okay, Um, and I've been critical of him, I think maybe more so than anybody in the national media, but what I would also say is, that dude is a heck of a ball coach, man, and I don't know if you guys saw the game against Texas Tech on Thursday, but they played Texas Tech, and this guy was just a rock star, Bill Self, his team is struggling, they're trying to figure things out, they can't get anything going on offense, what does he do? Switches to a 2-3 zone, completely flummoxes Texas Tech. They start turning the ball over left and right. Um, next thing you know, Kansas gets a couple easy couple baskets. They, have, they run a couple beautiful baseline out-of-bounds plays late in the game. They end up winning the game late at Texas Tech. So that was one thing that stood out. I want to give Bill Self a quick shout-out because I criticize him a lot. That dude is a hell of a ball coach, and this is another year where kind of the opposite of Kentucky. He doesn't have as much talent. He doesn't have the McDonald's All-Americans, and he's figuring out how to continue to win games. As I said, they are six and zero now since they played. Um, since they played. Uh, excuse me. Since they played Gonzaga on opening night, I give Bill Self a ton of credit. Another thing I noticed this weekend: Big East is really good. So I watched a couple Big East games on Sunday. I mean, I've been watching Big East games all along, but first of all, my UConn Huskies. <sighs> Both a gift and a curse from Saturday is that the gift is they're back in the Big East, which is great. Um, And frankly, they outplayed Creighton. Creighton's the number nine team in the country, or they were in the most recent previous poll. And a couple things. First off, James Booknight is a star. 40 points for James Booknight. One of the best individual performances that I saw all year. And I don't want to give UConn a pass because UConn isn't a moral victory kind of place. But they had Creighton on the ropes and should have won that game. They were up by four with um, with under 30 seconds to go. Creighton, to their credit as a veteran team, forced overtime, ended up winning the game. But I do think it's a great sign. I think it's a great sign for both teams in a weird way. I think both teams have a reason to be frustrated uh, Creighton because it was a sloppy, ugly game that they probably didn't deserve to win. UConn because they did deserve to win and didn't. But then I also think there's positives to come out of it. Creighton, you find a way to win on the road. Uh, and UConn, a program that is was coming off at one point three straight losing seasons. Last year was the first time in four years that they had a, a winning season. That UConn was right there with a the top 10 team. They had the best player on the floor and it was a game they should have won. And it was and this was a game not too long ago that they would have lost by thirty and gotten run out of the gym like they did in the Kevin Ollie era. So that was one thing. And then the broader perspective, I was watching the rest of the Big East slate on Sunday. Xavier beats Marquette in overtime or Xavier beats Marquette on a buzzer beater, and then the Seton Hall Providence game went into overtime. And I bring all this up to say I think the Big East is the best conference nobody's talking about. And we get so caught up with the Big Ten and we get so caught up with the Big 12, and I get it, uh, but I think the Big East has about seven or eight, maybe not seven, but five or six really good teams. I don't think people realize how good they are. Villanova's awesome. Creighton, as I said, is number nine in the country. They bring back four or five starters from last year. Uh, they've they've played well early. They did lose at Kansas by one point, but they're looking, they're they're playing okay, and they're still number nine in the country, and uh, I think they'll be a lot better. Some of their best players, Mitch Ballack, Marcus Zagorowski, aren't really hitting shots right now, um, but I think they're going to get there eventually. And then beyond them, I think UConn's better uh, then I thought they would be coming out of quarantine. They take the loss, but I think there's a lot to build on. Marquette's been impressive. Xavier is a team to me that you need to watch. They're now 8-0 and with a bunch of really good wins. I don't think anybody's talking about them. Seton Hall is interesting. Providence, which I just mentioned a minute ago, went to overtime with Seton Hall, does get the win. And so I think we're talking about six really good teams in that league, at least five. Um, and just a really, really good conference. Really quickly, I also want to give a shout out to Rutgers, who beat Illinois, and uh, I think they're better than I thought, too. Former Big East team in Rutgers. But <laughs> I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, which somehow went longer than I was expecting, which, uh, yeah, I say that every single episode, and yet every single episode, it ends up being true. But, First of all, before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed. Uh, iTunes, the podcast, Addict App, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. You want to do something nice for your boy AT, give us a quick five stars over this holiday break. Uh, Make sure you're following. Make sure you're subscribed. If you need a quick... Uh, uh, Christmas gift go to cameo.com slash Aaron underscore Torres you want to get somebody you love a personalized message from your boy I am happy to do it cameo.com slash Aaron underscore Torres make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram and like I said uh, I think this is probably the last episode of this week I don't think anything is set in stone yet I I would love to come back and talk more, but I know that a lot of you will be traveling. Um, you know, you'll be traveling here over the next few days. Christmas Eve is Thursday. Christmas Day is Friday. So, if something relevant comes up if Jeremy Pruitt, something crazy happens with him, and there were some crazy stories that came out via my boy Trey Wallace, who crushed that, uh, that story, we'll do it, you know, if not, we'll come back on Monday, we'll do something fun, kind of a bowl preview, all that kind of stuff, but yeah, you know, we'll, we'll keep it light, we'll keep it fun, um, but yeah, this might be the last episode before Christmas, if I do not speak to you. I hope everybody has a very uh, Merry Christmas, whether you celebrate it or not. I do hope you get a couple days off of work, and I hope you get to enjoy yourselves. You know, this has been a tough year for everybody. It's been a long year. I've said it a million times. Everybody is going through something right now. You're not alone. We're all struggling. And I just appreciate you allowing me to be part of your day. I do hope that whether you listen to every episode beginning to end, whether you listen to a segment here or there, that you guys have a uh, that you guys have a great holiday and just thank you for me, man. It's it's been an unbelievable year for the show. Not the last episode of the of this show, but it's been an unbelievable year. We went through a pandemic. Everything was building towards March. We were doing record numbers in February, uh, and the world stopped. And the world stopped. And you guys easily could have abandoned this show. Instead, the numbers continued to climb throughout the pandemic. I've said it, but May we set a downloads record. June we set a downloads record. August, September, October, November. Download record after download record after download record. It is a testament to you guys. I know I say it a lot, but I just cannot thank you all enough for your support. Uh, It's an incredible Christmas gift to me. And I'm so grateful that you allow me to be a part of your day. So that is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig, shout out to Rachel who hates my voice, and shout out to you guys for all your support over 2019, 2020, not 2019, and 2019 as well, but mostly 2020 I'm talking about right now. Anyway, uh, if I don't speak to you guys before Christmas, I hope everybody has a great Christmas. I hope everybody enjoys your time off, time with family, and we're all going to get through this time together. Enjoy it. I will be back next week, people.